this this is episode 93. 93, 93, 90, 90, 90, 90, 93. I graduated class in 93. Wow. Given my age there. No Laugh Track Podcast. This is Justin Severson, the host. Thank you to Circle of Heat for letting us play their tunes there at the beginning, as always. I'm here with my guest. He's been here before, but it's been a while. What episode was that? Eight, episode 12, 13, something 18. Like? 18. 18. Right. And now we're 93. Tom Rhodes. Hey, brother. How are you, Justin? I am awesome. We're at our, this is the first you managed to come into town. In the uh, this is officially the nicest day we've had in Minnesota in the 2014. And you got me inside. I appreciate it. You're inside that. underground. <laughs> Meanwhile, like why a don't mo- you ever do your podcast in a park outside? <laughs> How about the baseball park? They're playing right now. You know, a mile away, and we're in here. I love it. I'm going to see two games this year. Yeah, that's what you or said. Or this week, the, rather. Yeah, to, yeah. And you've never been. Never a, been to the new stadium. Can't wait. I went to the old one. Oh, you did, and uh, your neck hurt because you had to look. You had to twist your head to the right. <clears throat> you didn't sit in the one seat where we had a direct shot of the field. No, I guess that was center field, right? <laughs> yeah, there yeah. were very. There was like one row, I think. <laughs> well, welcome back to Minneapolis. I love it. One of the greatest cities in the world, as uh, Prince Rogers Nelson said, uh, "The bad weather keeps the mean people away." That's right. That's right. He. Uh, you just missed it. He just did one of those uh, private shows like a few weeks ago. I was just in London two months ago, and he was doing private shows in London. He played in some woman's living room. I heard about that. Yeah. like some She's some musician who's like um, doing really well or about to pop, and so there was some connection with her, and he just he set up in her apartment in the living room. What's your jammed. favorite? Do you have a favorite Prince song? Oh, my God. There's too, Well, if we have to narrow it down, it would have to be The Pope. The Pope. You can be the president. I'd rather be the Pope. Rather be. Uh, that song starts off with the sample of Bernie Mac from um, Def Jam Comedy. Def Comedy The famous Jam. Comedy, uh, Bernie Mac thing where he, he keeps going, you don't understand. I ain't scared of you motherfuckers. <laughs> and so Prince sampled that, and it's at the beginning of that song. It's great. I love that song. No shit. You can be the president. I'd rather be the pope. Sampling comedy. Prince. Prince is the man. I had no idea. Many years ago when I played here, um, I don't, you know, maybe 95, 96, uh, someone that worked for Prince was a fan of mine, and they were here, and then they invited me out. It was on a Saturday, and every Saturday in the summer here, he did these jam sessions yeah. with the new power generation, mm-hmm. and they started at like two or three in the morning, and they would jam until like six in the morning, and uh, it was one of the greatest nights of my life. I'm a huge fan. There was only about 50 people there. Was it out in a suburb? No, it was in Paisley Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, that's kind of, it's uh, that's sort of a Yeah, that's how, what is that? It's Chanhassen, I believe. Okay, but it's yeah, it's out there. So you went out, yeah, that's what he did a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and the guy that worked night. for him was pretty well connected. I, I should have stayed in touch with that guy. I guess. Um, you know, but that was before email and yeah, yeah. Uh, being able to stay in touch with somebody. I mean, who knows what, I didn't, probably didn't even have a cell phone at the time. Or mobile phones, as we called them back then. <laughs> um, and if you had a mobile... But the guy gave me a tour of, and he had, you know... Um, Mr. Nelson had, uh, he's got his own, like, uh, uh, sew shop, like, where they design his own clothes with all these fabrics. And then he had the 
recording room, and then the where he played was where he shoots the videos, and then he showed me the this kind of underground garage where he had his motorcycles and his pimp cars and stuff. Holy crap! And he had the motorcycle from Purple Rain, really, which was custom made. It's kind of small. That's gonna say is it the scooter? But I, I love that guy. <laughs> That's awesome. I wish I had a dollar for every party I saved. From playing Prince, or is that a lyric? That's a lyric. That's that a lyric. Said, yeah. That's which, what, which song? Let's get it up. Uh, Oof. twenty-two positions in a one-night oh, stand. Get, get off. off! Get yeah. off! Yeah. yeah, get off! Who knew? I wish I had a dollar for every party I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that one. I had that cassette. I know that one. I know that one. How's your uh, podcast? If I gave you diamonds and pearls. That's right. Cream. My, that's it. Get on top. Uh, my podcast is, is, is it going, man. It's going really well. Uh, I've had an incredible year. Um, I don't have any commercials in it, and uh, it's just a labor of love. So I, I'm not obsessed with numbers and things like that. But um, it's it's going really well. I was in New Zealand last May. I did the New Zealand Comedy Festival, and I was on like the NPR of New Zealand. Uh-huh. And this woman asked me. What's the one thing I wanted to do while I was in New Zealand? And I said, I know it sounds silly, but I'd like to interview Kim.com. And <clears throat> he's, on the Ameri- he's on the FBI Most Wanted list. The New Zealand Army and the FBI raided his mansion okay. uh, about a year and a half ago in New Zealand. He's German and Finnish. Uh-huh. And he started MegaUpload.com, where okay. all these movie files, well, all these files were traded. All the people are stealing? People didn't know what was on it. It wasn't like Nabster, oh. where you could type in a, a title. It was just files being traded, and uh, he's he's been persecuted. And um, someone was listening. He followed me on Twitter like about an hour later, and then I followed him back. And then I wrote him. I saw he had there was an email contact on his Twitter profile, and I sent him a really nice email. And uh, I got invited to his mansion. What? And he's like a Bond villain. Uh, he's got his own army, you know, on his property, men in black with machine guns. Get out of here. And, uh, he's an awesome guy, man. He loves comedy. Uh, the festival people told me he goes to shows all the time and he was great. And he, he really, um, does know, he live free and not in well, New Zealand? Well, he can't leave New Zealand. He, so he, he's okay there. Yeah. Can't come anywhere. Can't go anywhere Can't else. leave the country. Amazing. But that's a pretty good country to be stuck in. I, yeah, I've heard. It's stunning. Yeah. Do you run into Arge when you're down there? Yeah, in Australia. I've seen Arge over there a bunch, yeah. yeah. Um, and then also, uh, you know, I've, I've had a lot of comedians on my podcast, Doug Stanhope several times, and Brian Regan, and uh, Russell Peters, all these guys who are good friends of mine, Jim Gaffigan and things. Yeah. Uh, but then there's also been some other uh, interesting... Yeah, I looked at the names. There, there's some I don't recognize. Well, I've done a lot of comedians around the world, mm-hmm. you know, in my travels, like, you know, co- comedians in Malaysia, Ireland, Australia, did a bunch of guys in New Zealand, um, you got, you know, English comedians that are big. Uh, but do you remember Terrence Trent Darby? Of course. I was a huge fan. And I looked him up years ago. My wife and I, we don't live anywhere. So when we have time off, we just go... Uh, the last three years in a row, we've gone to Rome uh-huh. and inv- rented an apartment in Rome. You were talking about that last time. You, yeah, yeah. So we did it again. Rome. We did it again last September. Damn. So that's three years in a row. Mm-hmm. And uh, he lives in Milan, and he changed his name to Sananda Matreya. Okay. And I was going to go to Milan to interview the guy. Um, but his schedule didn't work out, so I had to do that one over Skype. 
But uh, the guy still puts out music. His name is Sananda Matreya. He does great work. And a uh, really funny, cool guy. And, I mean, I, I, I loved this guy from the beginning. And uh, Blame It on the Rain. Is that a song? Blame It on the... What was his... He th- that that uh, hardline according introducing the hardline according to Terrence Trent Darby that was I think that came out like eighty six yeah and I went on the road in eighty six or maybe it came out in eighty seven so I mean like that and like James Brown and Prince and all this stuff helped me get down the highway you know and lots of Otis Redding oh yeah I still listen to Otis constantly um they, well, he there was wishing well was wishing the big hit well, yeah but the massive hit was sign your name. Across my heart. Oh, yeah. I want you to be my baby. Did he explain the name change? Uh, he, you know, I think he, I think it's kind of similar to, to Prince. I think he he wanted to kill that former identity. I think with Prince, it was more of a contractual thing with Sony Records. Yeah, yeah. But with um, with him, I, I, I think uh, he just... He, I couldn't ask him about his publicist. I couldn't ask him about because he's he grew up in a little town in Florida. I grew up in a little town in Florida, and that's why I've always liked the guy. Oh, okay. But I wasn't allowed to ask him about that stuff. Interesting. Which is okay. It's fine. That's the way the guy wants it. Yeah. You know, uh, I got enough love and respect for him. To, sure. What, was he surprised? Like, like, like uh, you know, Rogers Nelson. I mean, whatever he wants me to call him, I'd be happy. <laughs> right. You guys br- brought me so much joy in my life. <laughs> Do. Was there any sense of he was looking, you know, wondering why is this comic from originally from Orlando so interested in me? Well, I tell you what, and I approached it from a very pure way. I believe in the power of a well-written email. Like, people send them to me all the time. Like, my podcast. uh, I get emails from people. Some guy wrote me in China a couple weeks ago. He lives in Chengdu, Chengdu, however you pronounce it. It's like the third largest city in China. I've been all over China. Uh-huh. I had no idea where the place was. Okay. It's the third largest city in China. Uh, and the guy, you know, he's, he's going through some difficult, uh, uh, like, uh, medical procedures or something. His kid was having a tough time in his life. And he said my podcast was giving him fuel and he just wrote me this really beautiful email i mean i'll get these emails from people and like tell me how much they love my comedy and my podcast or whatever and um i think there's a real power in that and that's what i did with uh with kim.com and it's what i did with sananda matreya uh after i you know i was like in a drugstore a couple years ago and i heard sign your name and i was like god whatever happened to him and I Googled him, and then I find out that he changed his name to Sananda Matreya. He lives in Milan. Uh, he's married. He's got a couple kids. And uh, I sent him, and I, so I, I bought his, his, uh, his new album, uh-huh. which was uh, Return to Zoathlon, which has got some phenomenal numbers on it. So I wrote him and told him how much I loved the new album, and that I'm a comedian, and that it's, you know, helped pump me up before shows and stuff. And so then that's how I, yeah, okay. you know, so I mean, I, it wasn't like a, Hey, I'm from Florida, dude, and you're from Florida. We should, you know, I never even mentioned it. Never even mentioned it. And not even, yeah, and it wouldn't be like, uh, hey, we're, we're uh, going back and tr- finding the one-hit wonders or two-hit wonders. No, nothing like that. that. No, and I, would, I think, yeah. Because I would I imagine that, there's yeah. some worry of people like him, like, I'm sure, make fun, somebody's making fun of me here. I'm sure, I'm sure people have, have probably tried to do that. When VH1 calls, he probably doesn't pick up the phone. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But mine was like, yeah, and I'd like to promote your new album, so... Uh, so so during the the conversation, I sliced in my favorite songs oh. with his permission, yeah. his publicist's permission. 
um, throughout the, the conversation, you know. So how often are you not uh, releasing your... Uh, once a week. You're, you're doing once a week Once now? a week. Yeah, the one that just went up last week, uh, I was just in London two months ago, and I met this girl, uh, Natalia Tenna, and she was in the Harry Potter movies. Okay. And she was, she's also in Game of Thrones. And, uh, now I'm more interested. Yeah, and, uh, and I had no idea. I've never seen either. What? Yeah. Ugh. So um, she's a friend, a, a good friend of mine, a comedian. His brother is in her band. She has a band called Molotov Jukebox, and they're this really fun party band. And uh, and I had her on, and so like, and I sliced in, you know, two of her songs. Yeah. And she's hilarious. She's a really funny girl. And that was the last episode, and then the one actually today, the next episode is supposed to go up, which is with. Uh, Don Ward, the owner of the Comedy Store in oh. London, oh, wow. which that changed the face of comedy in England. That club, which opened in 78, but then they moved to their new room in like 82 or 81. Um, but before that place opened, uh, stand-up comedy in England was um, mother-in-law jokes and racist jokes, <laughs> you know? Okay. So that, I mean... it. And, you know, Eddie Izzard played there. Uh-huh. French and Saunders, who went on to do um, Absolutely Fabulous. Oh, yeah. uh, ben Elton, all the, you know, Jimmy Carr, all these, uh, I mean, the stalwarts of British comedy all, you know, played at this guy's room. And that, and that club is how I got all these international gigs. Oh, really? By getting in with the Comedy Store in London. That was my key to other gigs in Europe and then doing gigs in Asia and Australia and around the world. So, yeah. That's interesting. So the, uh, a, no club in the United States could do that for you? No. Hmm. Now, maybe. Yeah. Now things have changed, but we're talking... What was the step to get... Well, how did you get in there? Well, um, Greg Proops and Rich Hall are good friends of mine, and they were, they were playing in England. They were both living over there, essentially. Greg Proops was doing Whose Line Is It Anyway, and Rich Hall had basically just moved over there. And they're good friends of mine, and they both told me they thought I would do well over there because uh, they thought I had, you know, smart material. Mm-hmm. And uh, they both pretty much coached me. When I came to – I made a couple trips to London, and they go, you don't go to the comedy store first. You know, like if you're from Minneapolis, man, you don't go to Acme first. No. I mean, you can. Yeah, I guess it wouldn't hurt that bad. But it, you, it would – uh, it would be better if you did some peripheral gigs uh-huh. and got your sea legs. Yeah. I mean, if you were coming from a different country, you know, mm-hmm. you want to find out what references work and don't. Right. So uh, I warmed up. I did peripheral gigs and played all these gigs around the city before I went to the best club. So they helped me get in. There. How many years into comedy was that? This is like 98, 99. Yeah, that's when I did it. So, I mean, I started... Woo, 84? I've been on it 30 years now. Jesus. Yeah. And you were a teenager, right? 17. I'm 47 now. Unbelievable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you, what a life. Yeah. There are a few others that have started that early. Can you think of anybody else that started that young? Yeah, loads of guys. I know yeah. Dave Chappelle started at like 16. Yeah. Bill Hicks started at 17. The Prodigies. Yeah. I just think like there's absolutely nothing... <laughs> I learned to drive at that age, but yeah. what else am I doing from that age? I guess I lost my virginity around that age. I'm still doing that. That worked out well. 
Well, I mean, those were my <laughs> thoughts too. My, you know, you can only talk about what you know. And my jokes when I was seventeen were the thoughts of a seventeen-year-old. Yeah. Chicks. And my big closer that I did back then was uh, a little tale about going on a date with a girl in my dad's Chrysler LeBaron. Yeah. And we're parked after the date, and we're we're making out. And I made my big move. I unbuttoned her pants. And she grabbed my wrist, and she pushed my hand away. And she goes, if I do anything with you, what's it going to mean? And I said, well, for you, a ride home. <laughs> See, it's still funny. I, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, but that's the, that's the thought of a 17-year-old right there. <clears throat> hey, we had a... Uh... Comedian passed away in the last week, John Panette. Yeah, do you well, know? Do you know him at all? I did. I mean, I, we weren't like great friends, but of course, God, you know that's the thing about comedy is it's a really small community, mm-hmm. and you know everybody. And that's you know, word to the wise comedians. Um, you know, if you're a jackass or a joke thief, you know, word gets around instantly. And then if you're a great guy, word gets around. Everybody loved John. I was going to say, I'm. I think I've heard he's the good guy. There was nobody. I mean, everybody. I mean, even if you didn't know him, you knew he yeah. was a good guy. Yeah, I was lucky enough. I met him about a year ago. He was in town. I mean, you know, his, you know, his biggest um, uh, problems were with himself and is what he had to deal with. Um, but, I mean, a lot of me. I mean, you know, I've had my own issue with drugs and alcohol. I mean, I didn't see it as an issue. <laughs> now that I'm not doing them, I... I look back and go, like, oh, yeah, I've had my own. But no, I loved practically every minute of it until I, <laughs> until I fell off a stool in Philadelphia and got six stitches on my forehead. Um, you, so you're, you're, everything's uh, in the past right now? No, well, as- yeah, I haven't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been... Uh, so when you say you fell off a stool and hit your head, what you really mean is... You really fell off a stool and hit your head? Yeah, I wish I had a good story. I wish there was a fight. If there was a fight or a car wreck or, you know, I was saving some woman in an alley being raped by, like, some hoodlums, I mean, uh, you know, then uh, I'd still be drinking. But, yeah, no, it was uh, the embarrassing, pathetic. uh, I was by myself January 1st. My wife was in Holland visiting her mother, and I had a bunch of beers and uh, watched the Fiesta Bowl because <laughs> my brother was there and his team was playing. Okay. And I was texting my brother when the game ended. Great game. Love you, bro. Blacked out. Fell forward. And my head went down like a lawn dart on the tile floor. And, uh, yeah, that was... Yeah. I I just thought, you know, it's... You know, I'm getting older now. Sure. It's just time to take a break. First time you had stitches? Yeah, yeah, ever, ever, ever. Well, congratulations, you went a long way. Yeah, and on the forehead too. What a spot. Mm-hmm. I can't so, see it from here. You can't. No, is there a scar? You don't see that. Uh, okay, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah you do. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know, but that's good. I, it's it, it's actually, I mean, uh, clarity is a drug unto itself. I've heard that. Yeah, <clears throat> but this is coming from a guy, as we talked about. Uh, you know, the first time you're on this podcast, I mean, you lived in Amsterdam for what five years or something. Yeah, so. there's been experimenting. Well, and then before I moved to Amsterdam, I was living in New York City for two years, and Mitch Hedberg was one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. He was living at the Chelsea Hotel. I had a rock star apartment in the Wall Street area, which is a short walk from each other. Nice. And um, 
you know, the story I always tell is I was partying so much when I lived in New York City, I actually moved to Amsterdam to bring it down a notch. <laughs> which is, which is, there's actually truth to that. Because I had fallen in love with a Dutch girl, you know, and she cared about me and just, you know, I just, and she made me love life again. I mean, I was kind of uh, reckless there for a couple of years because I had a lot of money and living in New York and just, I just didn't care. Yeah. You know? So, but the John Panette thing, um, you know, I, I knew him. I mean, it was like, you know, we did a few TV tapings years ago together and then I would run into him and just, you know, he was a guy that, you know, you, you always knew he was, he was trying so hard to, you know, with his weight and stuff. And then, you know, you'd see him, you know, backstage with a couple of pizzas and you're like, you know, that's the thing about comedy, man. It's like. I can forgive anybody. I I I can forgive comedians for anything. Mm-hmm. Family and friends. I've got a certain code of ethics. If you cross it, then I I'm uh, kind of ruthless, and I uh, I will hold a grudge. But comedians, you know, I don't. I can forgive for anything. And, Why you know, is that? Be- well, I mean, it's the brotherhood of the grape. It's the it's the the the, the um. It's like an exclusive club of fighter pilots. You know, if only, you don't have them, you have no one. Yeah, I mean, sometimes comedians are all comedians have. Yeah, and uh, you know, you know, he's struggling with his weight, and you see him with a couple pizzas, and he's like, "Hey, brother," you know. I mean, I, you don't say these words verbally, just, right? Right. You know, it's like my dad used to drink a lot, and, I, and my my siblings judged him, and I always thought instead of judge the man, why not sit down and have a drink with him and hang out? Okay. So I guess somewhere in that is my, the way I've always, you know, operated. So, um, you know, John, God, it's, I mean, you knew he had his own, the weight on him was put on him by himself Mm -hmm. from what he was trying to do. Did he have to uh, try and lose weight or struggle? I didn't want him to. Mm -hmm. I wanted him to be whoever he wanted to be. Right. And Jesus Christ, was there a funnier guy? I mean, he had that... That really baby face. Yeah. No matter how old he got, he just had this no shit. This really mm-hmm. baby face and just so lovable. Yeah, very lovable. That's a great and, way to describe him. Lovable. Yeah, yeah. And, but funny. Yeah. I mean, okay, you know, it's all going to be you know jokes about the weight and food and stuff, but they were really presented in uh, you know great sucker punch boomerang kind oh, yeah. of ways. And um, I think I think he was an absolute brilliant comedian, universally loved. Across the board, yeah. Uh, by anyone who saw him or knew him, and you know, it's I, I heard that he had had the the stomach staple or whatever that stuff, mm-hmm. and that he had. I mean, now that he died, you know, and you read the the obituaries and stuff, sure, that information is out. But he didn't have to do that for me. Yeah, you know, I loved him the way he was. Yeah. So I don't know, man. It's 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 interesting. It's unfortunate. Yeah, I thought I, you know, I just not to bring the party down, but yeah, you know, no I figured, it's you know, a sunny day. You it's got a comedy me, podcast. You got I got me in a dark room talking I, about comedy deaths. I know. Let's see any other deaths you like. No, I'm kidding. Um, <clears throat> Orlando, Florida. I have a theory, or a lot of people have this theory that the weirdest stories. Why is Florida? Why do the weirdest things in the United States happen in Florida? It's the heat. Heat messes with people. If you look, all the strangest things happen in. Florida, Arizona, and Texas. Those are the hot states. But Florida is the champ. Florida is hands down the champ. There's the bath salt zombie. 
yeah. guy eating the... But it wasn't bath salts. They only found marijuana in the system. That's right. And he was chewing the homeless guy's face. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these racial deaths and murders. You know, Zimmerman, uh, Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Guy unloaded his gun into the car with the kids listening to the rap music. Um, they're just, you know, and that's the thing. My wife is from Holland. Florida, the real estate's really cheap there. My family's all there. Oh, and they are like, still? Yeah, and so I've like, you know, suggested to my wife, hey, you know, we could, God, we could have a place at the beach, you know, for like 150 grand. Uh-huh. And she's, she wants nothing to do with no. it. No? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. does she know about the CD side of Florida? Or what? No, she's, just, just, she's only judging by people she's met personally. <laughs> 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 I like Florida. I mean, you know, it's a great place to go back to. It's a great place to go during the holidays for me and see my family. I'm glad my family's there and they're not in the middle of Nebraska, mm-hmm. somewhere like that. I uh, would love to have an. I uh, my parents <clears throat> went took a little vacation. That's something they never, ever, ever, ever do. They took a little vacation because it was so unbearably freaking cold here all winter. And uh, then my mom starts telling me, like, oh, you know, and actually we're thinking about, uh, you know, oh, because they went to Texas. And I said, why'd you pick Texas? Well, we're thinking about maybe, you know, when we're both retired that we'd, uh, you know, get a place there for the winter. I'm like, are you really? Like, I'm going to be one of those people that has a relative, Great. like, in a southern state You're that I can go visit. It. Yeah. Oh, it's greatest news ever. Yeah. Because, like, when I'm going around the world and traveling and, like, this, the last, usually I try and avoid winter. That's yeah. the greatest thing I've learned. Uh, is the opposite season thing. Like, there were a lot of winters. I would go perform in Australia, which it's summer during their winter. Right. My, my mother is from Argentina. I've got some family there. It's also summer there during our winter. So I would... It was a few winters I went down there. Oh, wow. Uh, but the last two winters, I've been in Europe, where it was freezing. And, you know, not Minneapolis freezing. <laughs> but... Um, it's always great to, to go back to Florida. And, you know, I left, I couldn't, I spent my life running away from Florida because I knew show business wasn't there. Right. And I wanted to be a comedian and couldn't, you know, couldn't wait to get away from it. Couldn't wait to go move and have adventure. I moved to New York. Then I lived in San Francisco. Then I lived in LA. Then I lived in New York again, then Amsterdam. And I don't know, sometime in the last Five ten years, I was in Florida, and I looked around. I'm like, God, no, you know, it's like December, January. The fe- weather's great. And there's palm trees. And I'm like, God, why was I so angry? <laughs> you know? Yeah. What do you have to be angry about when you grow up in paradise? I could get used to looking. We at only got half a rainbow today, man. <laughs> Life is bullshit. It's today. I rate today a half rainbow day. Yeah, uh, I could get used to seeing palm trees. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, th- you know, for me personally, like. I was just in Barcelona. I love Amsterdam. Amsterdam is great. And it's not, it's so much more than drugs right. and prostitutes. And now the United States is about to eclipse. Amsterdam is about to go out of business for, for marijuana smokers. I was actually going to ask you about that, yeah. Uh, you know, and there, there's, it's, it, you know, Jesus, you go to California and it's you, edible everything. Jolly Ranchers, Peppermint Patty, Weed. Yeah. Uh, it's not just that must be uh, that's what I wanted to ask. I mean, that must be a real different perspective for you as experiencing that whole, you know, where it's you know, hey, everybody's getting high. It's a big deal. It's not uh, you know, it's decriminalized. But Amsterdam's not like that, and hopefully, that is what will happen to the United States. See, my wife totally hates weed, and so did my previous the Dutch girl that I moved there for. Interesting. Dutch, Dutch people aren't smoking weed all the time. Yeah, and Dutch people aren't going to prostitutes. 
Dutch people are historically great business people. They know that it, these things are going to exist. People want to do drugs. People want to have go to prostitutes, and they regulate it yeah. and they make money off of it because they're great business people. But um, a Dutch person uh, smoking weed all the time, they say either you're a tourist or a teenager if you smoke pot. You know, uh, it's frowned upon actually. And that they grow up in school learning about, you know, the the danger. You know, if you want to achieve something in your life, you don't want to be smoking pot all the time. Yeah. And there was there was times when I lived in Amsterdam. The red light district is in the center of the city. So, I mean, to get, you know, you have to go through there a lot. Mm-hmm. And actually, a lot of Dutch people find it a desirable place to live because it's in the center of the city. And there were a few times uh, I saw little school groups uh, little kids and the teacher walking them through on a class trip through the red light district, and they're explaining to the children the sex industry and what's going on, and they're basically, you know, saying to the kids, "You don't want to end up in the mm-hmm. window mm-hmm. selling your body for money, or you know, you don't want to be the kind of person that would go there." You know, you you know, hopefully, if you're a well-rounded person, you have love in your life and you're satisfied, and you wouldn't, you know, <clears throat> do that kind of thing. It's sort of like scared straight, except it's just like the uh, it's part of everyday life. Like, you see, see these people. You don't want to be like them. Yeah. You know. Wow. Wow. That makes sense, though. So you know, hopefully the the state. I don't know. I think it's interesting in the United States now. Weed seems to be you know coming into um, being legalized, mm-hmm. and I think that is because our government realized that. Uh, too many people were paying attention to what was going on. If we got these people in a fog and they're stoned and you give them this one little, uh, you know, biscuit of uh, legalized marijuana, then they're not going to... I think it was probably the Occupy movement that so. that legalized <laughs> marijuana in this country. People are like, wow, all these people are angry and paying attention to what's going on. Well, where's the best stuff you've ever uh, imbibed in? Northern California outdoor weed. Really? grown outdoor in the mountains that's the best the hydroponic stuff is um no good interesting yeah because it's like you know i i call it polio weed you you experience the disease polio for the length of your high you know you're on the couch you can't <laughs> lift your arms that's no fun <laughs> you know i always wanted well, i always wanted I, wa- whenever i did anything i you know my thing is jokes i want to get jokes so like if i did mushrooms or smoked some weed, I would want to get, like, jokes or a story mm-hmm. out of it, you know? And if you don't, then it's kind of a waste of a time. So you're saying the Northern California outdoor ground is the uh, jokey joke? It's the jokey joke weed. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. What, what are the... They don't have that in stores here. They don't have it in stores? No. They don't have it in stores here or anything. I think it's coming to Minnesota sooner than later. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Near no, long. God. They, I think Minnesota will be... One of the first. I think so. Hey, let's go back to uh, living in, in uh, Orlando. We came, we brought up a little bit the last time you were on, and you, in fact, told me, a, I remember a family member worked at Disney. Uh, two, my brother and my sister. Your brother and yeah. your sister, yeah. But you were busy going to twin spring training games. Well, I mean, I, I, my my brother worked at Disney, and uh, when I was 14, I went to I would ride to school with him every day, ride to work with him every day in the summer. And I would spend one day riding one ride over and over. Like one day all on the teacups. One day all on, uh, you know, the Haunted Mansion or Pirates of the Caribbean. Anyway, I grew up with spring training. 
Uh, Our lovable Minnesota Twins. With the Minnesota Twins every March. They were in Orlando until 88, 9, something like that. And yeah, now they're in Fort Myers. Uh, yeah, they played at Tinker Field, which is downtown Orlando. Which is a great name in and of itself. Tinker. You, well, you know where that name comes from. I don't know. I don't. Remember the famous Chicago Cubs, uh, Tinkers to Evers to Chance was their deadly triple a play, uh, or a double play, rather, Yeah, in uh, like the 30s. And it was Tinkers to Evers to Chance. And the guy, uh, Tinker who played for the Cubs, when he retired, he moved to Orlando. And Orlando in the 30s was nothing. And so he, like, bought land there, and uh, I think somehow he'd started baseball in Orlando or was a early uh, person or investor, and that's why it's Tinker Field. But it's named after the Chicago Cub from the 1930s. I had no idea. Yeah, and... Uh, Do you know, remember his first name you at know, all? You um, know, Jackie Robinson played there before. It was like on the he did these exhibition games leading up to... There's a lot of history at Tinker Field. And the, the Twins were great, man. I We grew up... Uh, I grew up going to the Minnesota Twins spring training. My dad actually did the coolest thing. My father's the reason I'm a comedian. Uh, my father was killed by a drunk driver in 2009, which was very painful. Jesus, I didn't have um, no idea. My dad was a really cool guy. He was a Vietnam veteran, flew helicopters in Vietnam, was shot down, uh, saved everyone died except for him and one other guy. And uh, he saved the guy's life. He got like five medals. He's buried in Arlington National Cemetery. Wow. As he should be, because yeah. he's a decorated war hero. But he, my dad loved comedy. My dad took me to my first comedy show. When I was 12, and my dad had comedy albums, and my dad also loved baseball. So the reason – comedy and baseball um, I love because of my dad. And my dad would do the coolest thing. Um, when I was a kid, I'd be in class, and a note would come to the class, and they'd say, uh, uh, Tom, you have to go to the office. You have a dentist appointment or a doctor's appointment. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't have a dentist appointment, and uh-huh. I'm walking to the – to the office and I'd get there and my dad would be standing there with a shit eating grin on his face and my dad would get me out of class and take me to spring training games. What the so hell? So I've always wanted to have a kid so I could do this. So I could get my kid out of school and go take it. And then of course your kid would probably be like, oh dad, I had a big test that day. <laughs> you ruined everything. <laughs> but um, they can Skype their tests It was over. a cool thing, man. And that little stadium. Tinker- coolest dad ever, Tom. Coolest dad ever. That's yeah. Incredible. I'm David Rhodes' son. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> so it was great, man. And, uh, you know, the Twins were really lovable in the early 80s. They had uh, Roy Smalley was the big player. Sure. And Rob Wilfong with his cute mustache. Mm-hmm. Smalley had the hair. Wilfong with the mustache. Smalley was like the only good twin for a long time. And I guess Wilfong was their number two guy. <laughs> uh, what a name. And then there was the guy. We talked about him last time. I thought... Uh, I, I love the guy because he was he was just beautiful. He was really handsome and he had feathered hair. <laughs> was Rick Sofield? You know, I, and I thought Rick so and he had like a little comb sticking out of his back <laughs> no, pocket. He didn't. Yeah, you know, like the <laughs> that seventies comb with the handle, <laughs> right? Sticking out of his back pocket. So you know, when he wasn't uh, on the field, he was making his feather. <laughs> Batting gloves in one pocket, yeah, <laughs> comb in the other. I thought Rick Sofield was going to be the next Mickey Mantle. Oh, God, I loved Rick Sofield. Um, you know what? 
He wasn't the next Mickey Mantle. No, Mickey played more than two seasons. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey hit more than ten home runs. Yeah. It, not only did he d- hit more than ten in a season, uh, yeah, he had many more than that in his career. Which, as we, uh, Rick Soulfield. It was cool though. My dad. Um, there was, we had seats. There was one time Harmon Killebrew was there. They had introduced him before the show, and I'm like 12. And we're like 10 rows behind Harmon Killebrew. And my dad goes, take this this pen and the, the program down to that. He pointed him out to me. I mean, and he, they they introduced him before, and he stood up. Let's go ask him to sign this. I was like, no, Dad, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And my dad goes, do it. He goes, nobody's going to refuse a cute little kid. Right. I mean, my dad was smooth, always yeah. like, you oh, know, he's right. like when I sold candy, oh, I got to tell you about when I sold candy for Little League. Um, and so I walked down and Harmon Killebrew signed the program. And uh, when I sold in Little League, you have to sell boxes of candy. Yeah, we did. And then whoever um, got sold the most candy got uh Anyway, I sold a lot. Of, I sold the most candy, mm-hmm. and because and my dad was like, you know, they, people can't will not refuse a cute little kid, never. And so he, my dad would drive me through neighborhoods, and I'd go to the doors, and I'd sell this candy, and I sold a lot of candy, and I got to go. I won on our team, or I think maybe the whole league or something, and I got to go to this local sporting goods store and pick out whatever I wanted. And it was 1976, and I I'm like. Nine? I was nine years old. Uh-huh. Uh, I picked out a red, white, and blue glove. They had like it was like a <laughs> Rawlings for a nineteen seventy six made a red, white, and blue glove. Oh, the, for the uh, for the bicentennial. It, yeah, the bicentennial. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Where is that glove now? Do you have any idea? I have no idea. Where that clown no, glove I have, is? I, yeah. No. Did you ever use the clown glove in a game? I did, sure, yeah. <laughs> then I mean, I was nine, ten. It was oh, off court, yeah. It's cute on a kid that exactly. That age. Uh, that's like the ABA basketball, weren't they? Red, white, yeah, and blue? yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It was like that whole era. Uh-huh. That everything was red, white, and blue yeah. that year. <laughs> yeah, and that's what you picked out. That's like a dream come true. That or uh, anything you can pick out of a toy store for a ten-year-old. Yeah, a sports store. Yeah, you lie awake dreaming about those. Hell kind of yeah. Opportunities. I remember when there was a uh, some TV show on when I was a kid, and the grand prize was a shopping spree. It was that show Double Dare on Nickelodeon, and the uh, the uh, grand prize at the end of every episode was a shopping spree at Toys R Us. Wow. Yeah. And as someone growing up in Minnesota back then, they didn't really hit... Toys R Us, I don't think, was even in this market yet. Right. Yeah. I would look at the TV and that thing like, I, could, I would do anything for that opportunity. This magic toy store that we don't have here. And no money's not a concern. Oh, my God. So clearly, those are uh, back to the baseball thing. Those are some great memories. Do you know where the uh, autographed Harmon? I probably have it somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I have a massive baseball card collection. Really? Yeah, God. But, but, but I mean, when I, when I was younger, you know. Um, but I still have it. It's in my storage unit. So you don't really live anywhere. Don't Where's live your storage anywhere. unit? Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. Suburban Los Angeles. Somewhere. <laughs> Is there a bed in that storage unit not mm-hmm. being used? Yeah? Yeah. Well, when I moved to Amsterdam, uh, I threw everything into storage. And then when I, I came back from Amsterdam, I lived in L.A. for a couple years. And um, 
I looked at it as my empire of $20 purchases. The only things that really meant anything to me were my books and my CD collection. Mm-hmm. And all those cost about $20 each. Yeah. Um, and then when I, I, I was living in an apartment that I wasn't there half the time, I was on the road, and I wasn't that crazy about Los Angeles. So I was like, uh, you know, there's no point in living anywhere. So I threw everything into storage again, but I really slimmed it down. I got rid of... I kept the bed, kept, I have these beautiful wood bookshelves, I have a massive book collection, um, and I got rid of, like, most things, like, the, I knew, uh, comedians that I knew needed things, I gave, like, I knew a comedian needed a TV, take the TV, I, another guy needed a coffee table, take my coffee table, you know, I got rid of most of the furniture, I have the bed and the bookshelves. Do you have a vehicle anywhere? No, I did have a vehicle, um... That I, I I either kept in Florida or in California, friends and relatives, when I would be out of the country for six months of the year. But my niece flipped her car right before Christmas, and I gave it to her. Aww. So I don't have a vehicle yeah. right now. But now you're the awesome Uncle Tom. But I condensed everything in the storage unit, mostly to like family photos, comedy uh, stuff, things that, like, you know... Things are really personal to me. If it ended up on Storage Wars, would they would it be visible like a, anything of value? What do you think someone would bid on your? I would. It would never get to that point. <laughs> it would never. I've kept. I've been. I've been keeping this stuff. It's what nine years now. I've been paying for that storage unit. So, um, yeah, I'm in my baseball card collection. I mean, God, and 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 all this like comedy stuff. I mean, I got like so many. My photos alone. You know, I mean, just aside from family stuff, I mean, just, I mean, all these, you know, uh, Brian Regan, Mitch Hedberg, Louis C.K., Dave Attell, just photos of of my life and comedy, you, and people that I've been friends with. You have something going on with Dave Attell, some TV thing coming up, right? I just did this new Comedy Central series that he filmed in New York City called Comedy Underground. And it's Comedians Uncensored. My episode comes on May 31st. Now, I've read a little bit, so it's going to be like a late night, like literally uncensored. It was all uncensored, so um, I guess it'll come on after midnight. Mm -hmm. Some of the comedians didn't seem to take that um, opportunity. Uh, Some of them seem to be doing their regular acts. I mean, I I try to do as hard-hitting, you know... um, fucked up or uh, dirty-ish yeah. jokes as I could. When was that filmed? December. Oh, yeah. In New York. And he comes on, does a little hosting, tells some jokes? Yep. Ah. Exactly. I love a tell. That'll be good. Yeah. And did you say when, it, when you, that comes out? May 31st is my episode. Okay. Yeah. On Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. What else have you... Um, how about you? A special for you coming up anytime? Uh, I have an hour special on Netflix right now. That is on Netflix now. Yeah. I did it, I don't know, two years ago, a year and a half ago? Yeah. And it's it's up there. So, yeah, I'm trying to come up with the new hour to do another one. Now, I see, I uh, I set Google Google alerts for all my guests to kind of keep keep a tab keep what tabs happened? on What happened? What did you see? No, I see your name with these. Uh, are you st- still doing a travel thing with Huffington Post? Were you writing? I was. Uh, uh, well, I mean, technically, I guess I still am. Uh, Huffington Post asked me to be a travel writer because one, the first one that I ca- that came up, I'm like, is this the same 
Now, I know Tom Rhodes. I know he travels a lot. What was it? I don't remember. I don't remember which one it was. About getting in a fight in Ireland on my nope, honeymoon? No, nope, no, it was maybe sub- southern... Mm, Jakarta, Indonesia? That could have been it. Yeah. That could have been it. But I wasn't sure. I, you know, when I'm looking at the headline and the, or the, uh, and the title of the article, or the column, the article, whatever you would call it, the piece. Yeah. Like, is, this, is this the same Tom Rhodes? That is the same Tom Rhodes. Yeah, they... Uh contacted me a few years ago about being a about being a travel writer and they said i could write about whatever i want there's no deadline um write about whenever i want submit them whenever i want choose whatever topics i want to write about and i was doing that uh and got a lot you know a lot of people find that very prestigious uh a lot of people have been very impressed usually a lot of interviews i've done that's the first thing out of their mouth oh really oh so you're a travel writer for having you post uh which is cool you know, um, and I've actually had a lot of writers ask me, how'd you get that job? How can you, how can I do that? I'm like, well, they contacted me. I don't know how you would submit to them. I don't, you yeah. know. Um, but I was putting a lot of effort into these stories and I would, cause you know, if you, when something goes on the, on the internet, it's there forever. Right. So I would rewrite them like seven, eight times. You know, I'd rewrite them like three or four times and my wife would go, no, this shouldn't go in the beginning. And I'd, we'd get in a big argument. <laughs> and then, you know, I'd put the story down for a couple of weeks, come back to it, and then read it again. And then, okay, she was right. Then I'd rewrite it. And I was putting all this effort into it. And I thought, you know, because it doesn't pay any money. And I thought I should be putting this much effort into my own book that I've always wanted to write. So a few years ago, I started working on... uh, So I haven't been submitting stories to the Huffington Post because in the last two years because I've been focusing on my own stories, my best stories about traveling the world as a comedian, all these different things that have happened to me, um, having the sitcom, having the late-night talk show in Amsterdam, that wild New York period with Hedberg, um, starting out on the road, just all this crazy stuff that happened to me. Um, guns, violence, uh, things that I experienced. And then things about traveling the world, you know, almost drowning in Thailand, um, falling in love with this girl moving to Amsterdam. Um, you know, I... Falling I did, off a stool. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, we'll see if that makes it in there. <laughs> That'll be the last page. We'll see, yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I'm, I hope to have that book done uh, by the end of this year. I think... So- I think we're about 60% there. Really? Yeah, and I've been working on it for a couple years. But it was those Huffington Post stories that made me decide, you know, I I should, you know, be working on my own thing. Yeah, do this for you. Yeah. So, yeah. Did you, uh, what did your dad do for, you said he was in the service and anything after that? Yeah, he was an insurance salesman. Insurance salesman. Uh, was there traveling involved in that? How did you end up travel? You know, I mean, you're known for traveling. How- did you see that happening as a kid? That did you have a get the travel bug? Like, I want to see the world. Or- yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. and I loved uh, reading about explorers and you know Discovery Channel and all that stuff. Um, but I mean, as a comedian, you know, I'm from a little town outside of Orlando called Oviedo, okay. and I knew that um, you know. The entertainment business wasn't going to come to Oviedo. <laughs> and as a comedian, you know, I, first I started out on the Southern Circuits, and then I 
started to branch out and go up and down the East Coast to New York and then eventually did gigs in the Midwest. And then I started taking um, uh, investing trips of myself out to San Francisco and Los Angeles and doing sets. And, you know, before I got in all over, uh, it was just a natural thing. And then... then eventually living in New York and then starting to go investigate London and then, you know, around the world. So it kind of happened organically. Oh, okay. Did <coughs> any thoughts on Letterman leaving in a year? Um, I, you know, grew up with Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson was my hero. When I had the late night talk show in Amsterdam, some of the Dutch, uh, magazine interviews I would do. They thought they were being snarky. They would go, um, so how do you feel that you're basically copying David Letterman's program? And I said, I, like David Letterman himself, are copying Johnny, Johnny Carson's Carson. program. Yeah. Let's get that straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Johnny Carson, I miss him like a dead relative. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved Carson. And then when Letterman came on, I loved Letterman. It was boom. Oh, my God. Now here's two hours back to back. You know, I knew I wanted to be a comedian since I was 12. And so I would, that was my university. I would highlight the TV guide. I would get, we'd get the TV guide at the beginning of the week and I would go through and look at Letterman and Carson and I would highlight when they would have comedians on. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Carson had, had comedians on, but then like Letterman had kind of subversive comedians on like Emo Phillips and Judy Tenuta and different people and, um... So, I mean, that was kind of my university education. And I, I, and you know, and then people don't remember Letterman was, my wife doesn't like Letterman. Like the last couple of years, like when I, I'll, I'll have him on, she just, and she doesn't like Howard Stern either. She just finds both of them really irritating. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend to, has satellite radio, won't let me listen to Howard, and uh, I turn on Letterman and same thing, thumbs down. Yeah. So, and I that's why I can relate. <laughs> I'm trying to explain to her that. Once upon a time, David Letterman was the young and angry, edgy comedian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Jay, Jay Leno was in the nightclubs as well. But but when Letterman's show started, and I used to write, he used to do viewer mail on Thursday. Right. And I was in high school, and I used to write letters hoping that, you, they, that, that Letterman would read my viewer. And like silly stuff. Like, you know, is Paul Schaefer really uh, 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 like a puppet? You know, behind the piano, like because because it was always like silly odd right. questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would sit there in school, yeah, you, and invent weird things to ask him. You know, he never read any of my letters, but uh, but anyway. And when they would, I I never did, but I had this, <laughs> and because they would also show, and if your letter got read, it would also have your, you know, if it was handwritten, your handwriting would be on that paper that would be yeah. shown on national television. Yeah, they black like, out your they black out yeah. your address, but yeah. your name would be on there. Yeah. I mean, the closest thing to a... Yeah. Remember they had stupid pet tricks, stupid human tricks? I thought that show was hilarious. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. I loved that freaking... Yeah. When, letters. When, when the, I forgot they even did that. Yeah. That was really good stuff. That was great when it started. So yeah. I think Letterman is... Uh, I mean, it's time. Yeah. You know? it's. I guess it's time. I haven't been as loyal of a watcher in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know... There's a lot of competition at that time of night now as well, a lot more than 15 years I'm ago. I'm glad that the late night industry has been rejuvenated because mm-hmm. I think NBC kind of killed it. And they invented the medium with um, Jack Parr and Steve Allen. 
mm-hmm. and then with that Leno uh, Conan O'Brien war, they kind of killed it for a little bit. I mean, it's how can you kill this perfect thing? I mean, that was the, in America, people would watch the evening news, the eleven o'clock news, and then you watch Johnny Carson, mm-hmm. and it was a slam dunk every night. Oh yeah, um, and then people just it just kind of went away. But now you got Kimmel and Conan. And uh, and and Jimmy Fallon's got the Tonight Show in New York. Now there's a huge comedy renaissance happening in New York. I was there in December for that Attell show, and I hadn't been there in a few years. So many great young comedians are living there. There's so many new places to play now. The UCB Theater. Yeah. I mean, you got all the classic clubs, but then there's all these different alternative rooms. And um, you like to see that? There's a really exciting thing happening in New York, and so now I think. If you you know if you wanted to be a comedian, a lot of young guys are moving to New York as an alternative to going to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the late night um, vehicle is back strong now. So and I think maybe you know Letterman smells the writing on the wall that it's you know a lot of young blood has come in. I think they'll put a is late night ready for a woman? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Joan Rivers member was in the... Yeah. She used to fill in for uh, Carson, Carson back in the day. Yeah, and then she got offered the Fox show. Did you see the Carson uh, PBS documentary? Some of it. God, yeah. it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, and that was the one thing. Carson, when she she didn't tell Carson that she got offered that Fox job. And, and that he burned and the bridge. never spoke to her again. Yeah, isn't that yeah. amazing? He was really hurt by that. Yeah. That's amazing stuff. You never did his show? No. Did you no, know? I was too young. Yeah. Damn. What, he retired in 94, I think, or 92, 91? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. God, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. Well, what else, Tom? Anything else we should be talking about you got coming up this year? Where are you traveling? Uh, yeah. I've got, um, hmm. I just did January. I did, I did. Amsterdam, Paris, Barcelona, London for January, February. Came back, did the LA Improv, uh, stand-up Scottsdale, Brad Garrett's in Las Vegas, Hyenas in Dallas. Then last week I was at the Punchline in Atlanta. This week I'm at uh, the Holy Temple of the Ha Ha, otherwise known as the Acme (laughs) Comedy Company. Um and next week I have off for my mother's birthday, oh. and then I go to Los Angeles for two weeks, and then I do Seoul, Shanghai, Hanoi, Ho Chi Minh City, Hong Kong, come back to L.A., do uh, Sacramento, San Francisco, and then Amsterdam, and then I'm doing the Edinburgh Comedy Festival for the month of August. Wow. Yep. When's the last time you flew coach? I still fly coach. With all those miles you must be getting? Well, I have a wife to consider. <laughs> one, one, two economies or one first class? <laughs> well, how about one of each? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, make her sit in the back. <laughs> Can you send these uh, warm nuts back to my <laughs> wife in 35F, please? Pass her back a towel. By the time it gets there, it'll be room temperature. <laughs> Everybody's wiped their face on That's it. That's right. <clears throat> well, Tom, I think that does it, my friend. It's great, man. Uh, you know, my relationship with this club, 
Lewis Lee. I mean, that's I've had this conversation with a lot of people. I mean, there's a reason why some clubs last and some clubs don't. I mean, this club is a holy temple of the haha. I mean, Lewis Lee has got exceptional taste in comedy. All the best comedians mm-hmm. in American comedy in the last 20 years have all you know, played here, started here, developed here. And now that comedy is booming again in the United States, you know, I think people might forget, you know, the lean years when there were places like, you know, uh, Acme, Minneapolis, San Francisco Punchline, Atlanta Punchline. There's just a small handful of clubs that have been consistently bringing in badass comedians every week for, you know, 20 years. Let's look at it this way. You know, there's people uh, hosting, doing podcasts and shows all around the country, TV shows, radio shows. I, I'm the luckiest. I mean, I'm so grateful to this place. Because you get I, all the guys that come into here. I get to do, yeah. I get, you know, I'm working for Acme, and I, I just have to sit here and talk to, you know, these talented people that come in week after week. Yeah. I'm not setting it up. I'm not inviting you to do a week at Acme. You're already coming. It's... It's amazing because the talent that works here it really is unbelievable. And people aren't coming here. They're freaking missing out. What? I just had another question I was going to ask you, and I totally fucking forgot it. God damn it. What was it? What was it, Tom? What was I going to ask Tell you? Tell me. Talk to me. What was it? I just looked at something to remind me something I was going to ask you. What I tweeted last night, I love Minnesota because it reminds me of how good human beings can be. I retweeted that. Did you? Oh, you saw it. I did. Yeah. Is that just to suck up? No, it's really true. (laughs) You guys don't realize it. It's really true. You go to other parts of the country, you realize there's just like, you know, God, it's this store around the corner, like some Ethiopian girl works there, and she's a nice Minnesota person, and she had her little headscarf on, Muslim woman, but you can tell she's from Minnesota. Because she was so kind and friendly. <laughs> it's like, that's Minnesota. You know, we had the, uh, uh, I'm, I'm the captain now from uh, Captain Phillips. The, oh, right. The, he drove a cab here, right? Yeah. 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 Wow. He was over at the ball game the other day. He threw out the first pitch of no the Twins kidding. game. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's great. You, he, may, uh, he may give you a ride over there <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not sure what he's doing. I heard he was in some financial trouble. We, we, we wish him the best of luck. Indeed, sir. <laughs> that sounds sincere. And uh, I do think that Tom Hanks, every movie he does, he should be holding a volleyball. Uh-huh. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Tom, continued success, my friend. Thank you, brother. It's always good to be back here Damn on right. this uh, this stage. 